Hello, and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, author and playwright Mark Anthony Rossi. This show explores all forms of creativity for those searching for meaning and a place in the world. To err is human, but so is to love. Now, without further ado, here's your host. folks and welcome back this is Mark Anthony Rossi and this is our show strength to be human I have another wonderful interview episode so I'm always excited about that as you know how difficult it can be on arranging with people's schedules especially during the summertime so I'm, I'm gonna welcome uh, Agnes uh, Voita to the show uh, Agnes grew up in Germany she now lives in, in Rolla Missouri where she teaches physics at Missouri S&T She's an author of Porous Land at Spartan Press 2019, so that's her most recent project. Her poems recently appeared in Nix's Mate Review, The Blue Nib, As It Ought to Be Magazine, Former People, Gassinard Review, Thimble Literary Magazine, and elsewhere. Agnes, thank you very much for being on the show. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. And first of all, add a credit to the bio. Uh, the latest one is... Uh, your blog, the ARIO oh, chart. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because when you submitted to me, obviously you wasn't uh, published. I was not yes, published. That's, that's true. Sorry so about thanks. that. No problem. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. And thanks for the lovely introduction. Oh, not 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 a problem at all. You're a perfect example, though, of what I was mentioning about scheduling, that oftentimes people are coming off for all kinds of different things, and either they can fit this in or, or, or they can't. And uh, the blessing is you are able to. Sometimes people, they, they're like, yeah, I'm just coming back from vacation, but I'm not available for six weeks, you know. So you have to work with folks, and uh, I'm so happy you were able to work with us on that. Yeah, it worked out perfectly, and I'm excited to be here and talk a little bit about my writing. Uh, Mark, you mentioned that I uh, published a book just recently. It came out in the spring. It's called Porous Land, and... Um, I'm very excited about that. I have been a poet pretty much all my life. I started writing when I learned to write. So my first poems, they were from when I was six years old, and they're not very good, but they rhymed and they were poems. And I've written all my life. And then we emigrated from Germany to the U.S. And I tried for a while to keep writing in German, and then that fizzled out and didn't work anymore because I was getting settled here in America and I didn't have that many uh, people to talk to me. We spoke German in the, in the family. And then somehow I couldn't write in German anymore, but I was not able to write in English for about a decade, which was really interesting because I was fluent. I'm a college professor, so I, I knew enough English to teach my classes and do everything in everyday life. But somehow the emotional connection to the language wasn't there yet. And that took a frustrating 10 years or so to develop. And I didn't get back to writing until like five, six years ago when something suddenly clicked and I was able to write in English. And that was just really wonderful. And I have to, I'm a, I'm a mom of two ad young adults, and uh, I really got back into writing when my daughter left for college. That left this really big void in my life because I'd been not only parenting, but also homeschooling. So you put all this time and energy in 
in that and then all of a sudden uh, you become obsolete and there's this void to fill and I've done some deep soul searching what I want to do when I grow up and then uh, that's how I came back to really throwing myself into the writing and making that a priority and um, for the first few years I was not comfortable owning my work so to speak so I didn't publish anything under my actual name I had a beautiful website that had my poems paired with my photography but it was completely anonymous so there was no hint on the website as to who I was there was an email address that had no indication to my real name and I felt very self-conscious about my poetry because uh, not only am I a college professor, but I also am one of those people who teaches one of the large enrollment foundational courses. So every year I teach between 1,000 and 1,100 students in my, my very class. So on my campus, 95% of the students have to take my course. So they all know me. And I was really scared about the idea that, I mean, they go, they go and Google their professors, right? And then <laughs> having my poetry pop up, that was really scary. And then at some point in 2016 in the fall, I decided that, yeah, this is really ridiculous. And I entered some work into a, an exhibition of paired photography with, uh, poetry at the local women's center and I did sign it with my name and in that spring I submitted to our university's uh, literature and arts magazine and obviously that was published under my name and it felt very liberating to be out of the closet as a poet so to speak no, and I know what you're saying and I, I, I hear this a lot just different variations so it makes complete sense to me and I think People who are listening to this, they're, they're gonna they're gonna reflect upon their own journey and say, yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah, I think it's probably fairly fairly common. So, um, yeah, and then I started connecting with a local group of artists and, and poets, and that is where I met uh, my publisher, and he talked to me, Jason Reberg from Spartan Press. He met in last year in September and he said hey do you want to send us a manuscript next year and I like um sure I didn't have a manuscript together at that point but I was determined to have one and I made that happen and so this is how this book came about and it's called Porous Land and that is is an odd title and I would like to read you the poem where that title is coming from I I'm a hiker and I get a lot of my inspiration from nature and we are in I'm here in Missouri and Missouri is on limestone soil and there's this so-called karst topology that makes all those caves. We have I think 6000 caves in the state and uh, oh, wow. the poem the poem is called Vanishing Act. The stream disappears Swallowed by insatiable karst, we live on porous land. Skin-deep soil hides the unknown. Passages that worm through earth's flesh open into wombs and cathedrals. Flowstone gleams wet like mucous membranes. Water seeps through fractures, dissolves and deposits. We must descend deep to understand what lies below, 
where crystals form under heat and pressure. Grown larger, the stream emerges again down valley, unexpected. So this is where the title Porous Land comes from. It's about the things that are under the surface. No, I, I can definitely get it. I was kind of like, kind of guessing it before, but um, then you mentioned the caves. I'm like, wow, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because the, the land could be more porous because it has caves and holes. And so I'm starting to get the whole metaphor with that. But uh, I like I like that a lot, especially since um, it's one of the things that I I remind poets. And I don't mean to admonish them, but I often remind them at least that it's still important. As, as magical a language you want to use, it's so important that people can connect with some of the words that, that you're saying so they can they can make some of their own you know, connections and, and feelings to it. Otherwise, if they're running to Google in the dictionary, it kind of interrupts everything. So that's one of the things I did like about your poem is that regardless if you're a professor or not, it felt accessible, and that, that's, that's an important quality. Yeah, thank you for saying that. I sometimes feel I'm using a... Uh, rather simple language so I I'm a minimalist in my aesthetics so my poems are usually very short and they usually don't uh, use very obscure vocabulary um, so I'm an imagist at heart so it's to me it's it's about the image and I get most of my not most a lot of my inspiration from nature i'm a hiker so i'm usually out every weekend when the weather permits now it's summer which is not hiking season in missouri it's poison ivy ticks and humidity season but in the winter we're we're out all the time and uh, i found that the ever since i got back into writing poetry that has also changed the way i'm looking at things so i've become more observant because you see uh, the details and the things in nature, like uh, maybe a photographer would when they're looking for a motive uh, for a fo photograph. And I really appreciate that uh, writing has given me this very different interaction with the world, this being more attentive and observant to, to the things I see. And they become more meaningful and they just make make their connections well, I, I, I loved it, uh, especially since uh, I'm an adherent to uh, to minimalism, especially in, in poetry. I try to ask poets all the time, you know, to at least get a few of those in there in, in the whole repertoire because they're going to find just from the exercise of writing it, it, it requires more concentration because even though there's a small amount going on, you have to say a lot with that. So it's a good, you know, I, I think... Uh, artistic exercise in itself whether they adopt that style for all their work or not so it, it, and it, it gets great in your work because uh, you're using a lot of the environment and nature but you're not using it in a way that's putting people to sleep it, it, it feels alive thank you thank you very much so um so yeah my book is uh, basically there's two stories going on one story the main story is a story of loss and acceptance so i wrote this i started writing these poems when my daughter left and uh it never in the book mentions that it's not like my child is going to college and i'm the suffering mom it's much more general and there is the story arc of some 
kind of loss. Somebody is leaving. It is not specified who is leaving for what reason. And then that goes through the whole cycle of grief and coming to acceptance. And that is superimposed on a seasonal arc. So it starts in a very bleak, depressive winter and then goes through the seasons uh, and ends up in a winter with a completely different different outlook. So that was what I was trying to do with with, with the book here. Uh, can I read you another one? Yes, yes, definitely. I definitely want to. So do I want to. Uh, this is one from the rather from the beginning of the book. Um, it's called "I Watch You Sail Away on the Blue Stream of the Years." Uncharted currents and tides, different than they were on my voyage. My tattered maps will be of no use to you, but I gave you my compass. This has to be enough. I feel like a parent saying some of those things or feeling some of those things, but and and I don't make a I don't want to make a joke of it, but maybe it's different for for males and, and men. But I know that when my sons go off to college or the military, whatever they want to, to do. Um, I'm going to feel a sense of relief and, and I'm going to be happy that I can get the bathroom back. So uh, I'm probably going to have a different feeling than my wife will, but I promise you, I um, won't be as sad. Yeah, it was a process. It was a time of sadness. I mean, I'm also excited for them, of course, and they are making a great life and um, it's just a, it's just a change. And in the end of, uh, I have come to really enjoy the emptiness. One of the things that was very cathartic that I did was repurpose my daughter's room. Mm. So I now have a room of my own to write in. So having a study is just fantastic. So I can have a desk where I write. I have shelves where I have all the poetry books. I have all my little knickknacks and and things and art supplies. So having a space that is solely my own has done wonders for my creative process. No because uh, before, I mean, yes, of course, I have spaces and there's room. Uh, we own a house, but every space has been a shared space, shared with the family. And since this is pretty much the first time since in, in 25 years that I have this space that is mine and just mine and where nobody else usually goes in. And that makes a big difference. It always reminds me of the essay by Virginia Woolf about the room of her own. There's really something, something to that. So yes, I'm in, enjoying this. I'm finally uh, over the last year, I've, undergone a big transformation in terms of how I define myself uh, and that was a really big paradigm shift because for most of my life I defined much more through my job I teach physics and it was only over the last year or so that that has shifted that I would primarily define myself as a poet who does the physics teaching also who's that's my day job and I I like it. I'm really good at it. I enjoy it. But I no longer see it as my defining uh, trait. And that was a very big discovery. And it was a long process to own that. And I've the, the new work I've been doing. So I put that manuscript to bed in 
around Christmas, I send it off to the press in January. And all the work I have done since is basically on two major themes. One theme is immigration and dealing with the family overseas. We are first generation immigrants. So all our extended family, parents, siblings, nieces, nephews, everybody is over there in Germany dealing with having aging parents an ocean away. Mm. Uh, that is the one uh, complex of themes that uh, I'm dealing with. And the other is uh, yeah, growth and transition. And there's just the past, I want to say the past nine months have for me been a period of tremendous growth and development. And I've uh, instituted a regular writing practice. So I no longer wait for the inspiration to, Come, yeah, I, I always show don't up wait at anything. the page yeah. every day. Okay, I I shouldn't say every day. I aim to show up at the page every day. I I fall short of that. And when I was on vacation, I didn't write every day. But my goal is to to be disciplined about that. And I found that I'm so much more productive. And I am currently in the process of putting together a manuscript for a second book that I'll hopefully finish uh, later this fall that has all this all this new new stuff, new exciting uh, developments uh, about personal growth, um, deals with uh, episodes of depression I've been having and uh, through which I've been working. So it's going to be a very, very different kind of work than than the Power's Land. So well, there's much... I'm going to be uh, ready for that, to hear about that. And perhaps later on we can... We could do something maybe next year to, to talk about that book. I, I did oh, an episode on depression, and we deal with a lot of uh, artists that, that talk about that on the show or text me privately about it. So it's an ongoing issue, and they always want to hear what people are, are doing and learning or, or things that maybe could help them as well. Yeah, I'll, I find that what is really I, – I see it as a message now, to me, this is uh, a message that there's some changes that I need to make. So I, I want to take this as a the universe telling me something, actually shouting at me because I have not been listening for the past few years. So um, I'm not quite sure how the changes are going to look and what I'm taking away from this. But I feel there is uh, development and I, that's, I find that very exciting. Well, I think, it's very, I think it's very interesting. I had um, two... Uh, writers that had told me they were in your similar situation to where their children had grown up and went off and and and, and then they noticed that they uh, they fell into a, a sort of a, a bout of depression and he wasn't sure if they were just simply responding to the fact that um, you know like when you quit smoking you got to figure out what to do with your hands well what do you mm -hmm. in a way you quit mothering so what do you do then and one had found out I guess through professional help that she is, she was actually depressed years even into the motherhood and just didn't really notice it because she was just so involved with motherhood. Yeah, because you can't sit on, still yeah, and exactly. introspect. That's you're just running in the hamster wheel and you're drowning out the you're drowning out everything because you're just so busy that you can't stop to so she was think, able, yeah. she was able to tackle that by discovering that it was there all along, who knows how long. And then the other one had discovered that, yes, uh, they were having a problem with depression only in the sense that they needed to figure out a new life adjustment with the empty nest situation yeah. so that they wouldn't be so, um, I don't know, feeling like they were uh, useless. So like you said, obsolete, which I don't know if it's obsolete is, is probably the right word. But 
certainly they had to get themselves aligned to something new in their life, some new goals, some new project or something. Yeah. And when they and did I... that, it went away. So one had to get treated in a more professional manner. The other one literally just figured out what to do with their life. And once they did that, they didn't feel so uh, negative anymore. Yeah, that that was definitely the case. And so for me, it's it's the writing. And also, I think um, there is something about the time of life when that happens. So because it's not just that the emptiness leaves this hole. It's also that we are in kind of in, at, at midlife. And this is the point when we realize that, yeah, if we want to change anything, we don't have time to waste anymore. Because the clock is ticking. And if we want to start something new, we can't say, oh, let's give it another 10 years. No, at age 50, you want to just get going and, 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 and run with it. Because at some point, you're not going to make any changes anymore. So I feel it's these two things coming together that create that sense of urgency that you got to figure out something to do with with your life. Yeah, I have so, the opposite going on because I got married later and had children much later. So I'm a much older person for these children. But uh, I, uh, the first thing I figured out is I had to, um, I had to stay into shape and I had to uh, correct the bad habits in order to be able to be around for them into my later years. So I quit smoking 15, awesome. year, 15 years ago. Actually, Congrats. 15 years and three months ago. And that's a big help. And and somebody from my age, I'm still playing tennis and running and doing a lot of things that other people in, in their mid fifties either don't care about, find boring, or but then you know they don't have a ten and a thirteen year old. I got to catch up with these guys, and I'm not going to do that by sitting, sitting on the couch, you know, or, or talking Thank about the old days. I don't have any old days. Young. I got these days. <laughs> yes, yes, that keeps you young. My my grandmother was seventy two when I was born. And she helped raise me because my mother was an opera singer and spent the first year of my life in a different city uh, where she was at the theater. So my grandmother at 72 had to take care of a baby. And that kept and she was very she lived with us, was very involved in raising the three of us. And that kept her young at age 93. She was still running up and down the hill. My parents live on a on a hill and then they have not just the hill, but then 70 steps to the house. So my grandmother was up and down doing the shopping for the family, up and down that hill and the stairs several times a day. So and that kept her young and being involved with the kids kept her sharp. So so that's that's a great thing. Yeah, I, I really think the the activities in, in, important. Now, of course, we learned from science how how important it is the um, the, uh, the the stopping of the smoking and eating better and exercising. It, it makes for a, a better a better life for me because I I have yeah. friends that are on the second marriage. I'm only on my first, and, and then I have friends that uh, they they have heart they have heart and health problems now in the fifties. So I'm like, if you're yeah. having this now in your 50s, what's going to happen in the 60s and 70s or if you're going to get there? So Definitely. I'm fortunate that I don't have any of those issues at all. That's wonderful. Yeah, we're trying. We're very active. I, I love moving. I'm a hiker. I'm a rock climber. So I just got back from a week of rock climbing in uh, the city of rocks in Idaho, where I went with my husband and both my kids and my son's girlfriend. So it was fantastic. I feel I won the parenting lottery <laughs> by having my adult kids like me enough that they want to spend their vacation time with me so we had a great time great granite great great climbs 
And so unfortunately, Missouri doesn't have a lot of climbing. So we always have to venture far afield. And I find that the act of moving in nature, so both the walking, the hiking and the climbing, that really gets uh gets the creativity going so when I get stuck when I have no ideas I go out in the woods and I walk a few miles and then usually things are things are coming together I always carry a notebook so my husband is used to this that I he will look at me and he can tell whether I'm writing in my head because he says there's something about my facial expression how I I gesticulate so when I'm when I'm coming up with a poem and then every now and he, he just laughs about it and, and every now and then I say I need to stop for a minute I need to write something down so I need to sit and write write stuff down and I've tried to uh, work with the phone and and dictating into the phone I haven't really that's that doesn't mesh with me I'm a, still a paper and pencil person yeah everybody has their own ritual I I did a, um, I'm still doing it now, a weekly column on, on ethics in, in the world for an Indian publication. Mm -hmm. And I decided just for the first column, I go like, you know, I'm doing so many different things now. Let me just try to write the column using the notes on my on my smartphone. And it's three years now, and uh, every single column I've written, it's over 150 now, all on the phone. That's what I do. And then I send it in. I just hit the email thing. and That's great. Yeah, See, I, I hate. Every, every, every yeah. week. Yep. I hate typing on the phone because the screen is small and the keyboard is small. So I much, if I have to type, I much prefer to do that on a computer. So anything prose that I write, I write on the computer. But for poetry, and, and so that's just my idiosyncrasy. I like to write it in pencil and on, on, on blank paper. So if I have a notebook with lines that does not work, that feels it's cramping my style. So... I am always on the lookout for little notebooks that have blank paper, no lines, no no grids, no nothing. And um, so that's how I write. And then that's also how I edit. And I like editing on paper because that means that I still have all the previous versions because I never erase. I just cross out and rewrite. And uh, when I edit on the computer, I mean, once it's almost done, I put it on the computer and then I'll do the last final touches when it's on the computer. But I find that when I edit on the computer, I'm not saving 10 different versions of the poem. I'm just overwriting. And I really like going back to the first to the first drafts and, and, and see the process. And sometimes actually uh, an earlier draft turns out to be the more turns out to be the better one. So I usually start from. A total overwriting. So I'm usually paring down. I, I start by writing down ideas and phrases and kind of stream of consciousness. And then it gets, it gets pared down. I usually cut away rather than adding stuff. And uh, I like to do that process on, on paper and preserve the record of it. And uh, yeah. So it's just I like my, my so I, I appreciate you sharing this. I always like to hear about this because I'm always curious about what other people are doing. I call it the rituals of writing. In fact, I've collected enough, and I'll even add some of yours into it, that I'm going to put a, a, together an episode for September that's going to be called the rituals of writing. And I'm literally going to spend like an hour talking about all the different things people shared with me about about the various rituals. Some of it will will, will be very I think are curious for folks, and some of them will identify, oh, yeah, I do that, but I'm not sure about that. 
and it, sometimes it might even give somebody new something new to give a, a try to but there are so many different things that people do sometimes it serves their schedule and, and sometimes it, it simply serves their personality and other times it might and like in your case of you didn't have a writing space for a while then you did it might just serve the type of writing space or privacy or just room that they have that they just got I got to do it over here because I can't do it over there so and I think uh, it, it's interesting because writers are very superstitious that if they don't feel they go to that ritual that they're doing <laughs> they might not feel they get anything done even though I know there's no scientific proof to it God knows it's not in Nostradamus or in the Bible but nevertheless writers will square if I don't use this number two pencil and blah, 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 you know, they, they, they swear by that. So and yeah. you don't want to mess with it because you don't want to mess with something that works. Who, who does? I write with black pencils that are really good uh, black pencils, number two, and they have to be super pointy. So I can't write with a blunt pencil because I write very, very small. And so, yeah, that's just one of those things. I guess I could write with a blunt pencil, but it wouldn't feel just right. Now, uh, when you mentioned the different styles of writing rituals, I also noticed that the kind of the, the method that you use and the tools you use inform the poetry that comes out. So uh, when I started um, writing more in my head while walking what I find is that the poems I write actually while I'm walking that I compose in my head and say out loud on first form orally before writing them down uh, they have a very different rhythm so they have actually more rhythm and they are much more suitable to be performed as spoken poetry than uh, the pieces that I write when I'm sitting still on my desk and just just working with the image and i noticed that with several works that the things that really that really perform well uh as spoken word they're all things that i've written while i was walking because that gives it the the natural rhythm of the steps so um then i found it a very interesting discovery and maybe it's just me or maybe it's a universal thing that that works for other people similarly but uh, to me that made perfect sense that that would be so it, it, it does uh, i remind people that sometimes they say yeah the muse really got me because i just sat down and 20 minutes later i had this poem that was that didn't almost need no editing i'm like well it, it might not be some muse thing it might be the fact that You've been chewing over this thing mentally in your head probably for weeks. I do that myself. I mean, oh, yeah. I got to the point where I can visualize literally some of the, some of the words and, and what, it, what they want them to do. So by the time I sit down on my phone or my laptop or whatever, because I've kind of like ran out of doing the writing thing on paper a long time ago. I just adapted for my own life, you know. Uh, number two, pencil is important for lots of people, but... You know, in my household, number two means something entirely different. So I have to go to the technology and the devices. I, I'm lucky I could find any of this stuff half the time if I didn't have that. But I, I, I found that it's okay to uh, to even change. Because I used to be just a person that wrote on scraps of paper. And literally, when I got home, when I was younger, and I put them all together, and then try to form something, do some editing, leave it as notes. And, you know, over the course of time, we'd have notebooks full of the stuff until, you know, something came about. And then 
Because I used to live in Germany myself. That's, that's the first place I lived outside of America because I was in the Air Force. Where, where in Germany were you? I, I lived in um, a, a town called uh, Lahnstuhl, which was... Uh, yes, I do. I'm familiar with that. the Ramstein Air Base. That, that's mm -hmm. where I was at. So I, I spent a lot of time traveling. Um, even though I lived in Germany, I was most of the time not in Germany, usually somewhere else. But um, I had to then adapt that. I had to then adapt to what I was doing then because uh, I couldn't carry a, a pen and a notepad so easily, uh, even on the side. Sure, so I would, yeah. I would do something differently. Um, I learned more to mentally put things together. The, the military really helped me to do that, to learn how to visualize more. I mean, I've written poems on cocktail napkins in, 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 a, in a goss house, you know? So give me a pen, please. <laughs> Write this down. Okay, thanks. So, well, uh, you got to do gotta that. Save it when the when you have an idea, you gotta write it down right away. I'm always scared to forget if I have an idea, so it's gotta be written down right away. And that's yeah, when if, I if use you can my do phone. that. Yes, I, I definitely agree because so, it's one of the big fears that writers have that oh my god, I might have forgotten something. I can imagine things I must have forgot. I'm just so glad I did. A lot of them I didn't forget. <laughs> yeah, that's the the good ideas. Uh, I sometimes wake up at night and scribble down a line that just came up in a dream and sometimes in the morning i wake up and it's oh wow that was amazing and other times i wake up and like what the heck is that that makes absolutely no sense even though at that moment it had this very profound feeling that i was on to something really deep so sometimes it works and sometimes sometimes yeah. it doesn't uh, that that is it I'm, when i put that show together i'm definitely going to mention some of these things amongst many things that people had shared with me and of course my own because i mean i probably have in 36 years of writing I, I probably have changed my rituals probably five six times over the years i mean it's just i, I can't even believe I, if someone told me 30 years ago yeah you're going to walk around with a small electronic device and then that thing you're going to write on it and do things and then you can send it to other people and then make it yeah it sound like it sound like star trek it wouldn't even sound yes, like yes the, the communicator in Star Trek. So yeah. technology, I mean, I love technology. Technology is amazing. I I use the computer a lot, obviously, and I have come to love my smartphone, even though at the beginning I was resistant. I'm like, I don't need one, but yes, I do need one. It's just, uh, I'm not typing much on it because the screen is small. Yeah, yeah, what else can I tell you about my writing so what I'm trying to do is I really enjoy reading so I'm really trying to uh, after since I've discovered that I enjoy reading poetry I'm using every opportunity that I can get to read now we're in a I'm in a small town uh, which is two hours away from the next actual city so opportunities are not that prevalent but yeah I'll go I'll read wherever they'll have me so tonight I'm reading at the at a library in a neighboring town they asked me to come and I'm super excited about that yeah. so I think that's going to be great and I just hope people are going to show up and so that is something I'm exploring and this year I finally um, decided that I want to take up uh, the publishing in, in magazines uh, seriously and I read this great article about the hundred rejections that you should aim for the hundred rejections because it means you actually submitted and wrote enough and something's gonna stick so I don't yeah. think I'll make it to the hundred but I put that as a vague goal 
and uh, been more diligent about actually putting my work out there. And it's always super exciting if somebody is accepting something. And I have learned not to take the rejections personally. So I'm I'm cool with that. And I'm just enjoying the, the whole process of becoming more involved, seeing all those publications that are out there, seeing the places my friends are publishing in, discovering poets that I've never heard of just because I find their their books and bookstores or see their see their poems online and I made some wonderful friends that way that I just connected through their through their work. So so yeah, I'm not sure where I'm going with all this, but I'm having a blast with the uh, with the writing and with the yeah, the whole poetry thing. Well, so I'm very glad you're doing that. Definitely there's a lot out there and it is uh, without without trying to reduce it too much a bit of a numbers game in the sense that, uh, like anything else, the the more you do, the greater your chances of success. So, yeah, you really have to have a, a number of, of submissions out there. I mean, there's not a year that goes by that I'm not doing probably four to 500 submissions. Easily. Oh, wow. Easily. Four to 500 submissions. Yeah. So that's, you do submit every, basically more than once a day. That is amazing. Well, what I normally do, because I have a schedule uh, of writing and publishing and I'm doing the podcast and that, that's a lot of work in itself. Um, I'll have like two or three days where I'm committed in the month. And then from there, I just go through all the various markets I've been checking You're out and submit not, everything. Yeah. So it'll be like 30 or 40 in a month. So it often adds up to. Somewhere in the neighborhood of like three to, to four hundred. I've had a couple of years with five hundred, but I write in one and one genre. I, it's, we're talking about poetry, fiction, uh, nonfiction, and and I get plays uh, that get produced. So it's there's there's a lot of categories, but it's, and there's a lot to send out. But it's the only way you're ever going to see anything at all if you don't put a grade out there, because I mean, it, it's a to me people beat themselves up, and I just remind them I'm like. Just because you didn't get anything published this month is not truly a reflection on your work. It could be more of a reflection on your work ethic. <laughs> you can't send out five poems in a month and then you wonder why they all came back and, you know, rejected. I mean, you got to do 30 or 40 submissions. You have to really put the numbers out there and, and oftentimes pick a couple of poems that you really feel strong in and just send them out to nearly all those places because... Those the chances that you're going to get, you're going to get picked up, and then you just simply communicate to everybody else. Hey, I got this submitter published already. Thank you, and hope I get a chance to you know submit in the future for you. But that's what you have to do. If you if you don't really do that, you're never really going to have a true sense of what your work is is valued, or if anyone's truly checking it out or not, and, and you just won't even know um, if. If you have the the wherewithal, because you're just not putting enough enough out there, it's like anything else, like practice yeah. makes perfect, or you know you, you can't run five miles until you run two miles and all that. But in the end, it's really about getting a lot out there. And if you just don't, I mean, unless you're just like a, a complete genius, I mean, if you put a few out there, you just you're just not going to get much of a return back, other than a bunch yeah. of. And it's not even a good rejection. And, it's a soulless letter. <laughs> it's not helpful. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I can also see that for some people it may not be important. It was before. It was not important to me to publish. I just wrote because I had this need to write. I pretty much wrote 
because I wanted to. And I've never given any, for many years, never given any thought to putting that out there for the public. I would share with, with close friends. But, and I think that's a valid thing too. So not everybody has to publish, but, um, I, as I said, I'm fairly new to this whole game and I often have the feeling that I am doing something that I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know all the rules and I don't know the customs and I'm just muddling through and so far the muddling has been fine and those of my friends who have a lot of experience um, in the culture, they are, they've been very gracious and they've been helping me with all my dumb questions and so so I found I found that um, I received tremendous support from uh, the other poets that I met and from from people in my life so that was really very nice that I have not encountered any attitude of like that I don't count because I'm a dilettante so everybody's been uh, yeah really nice about it and helpful and uh, answered my questions and so uh, it's a wonderful thing to be part of that community and and i'm and i'm blessed to hear what you're having to say no no doubt because some folks don't have those same experiences and oftentimes i i push people to put their work out there and to get published mainly because i already know privately that their goal is to get a book out and quite frankly it's easier to attract a publisher for your book when you built up some credits so therefore yeah it really does help because uh, I, I, I guarantee you a publisher might be gracious enough to read your entire book but it's hard for them to take a chance when somebody has a couple credits versus somebody that has enough of a handful because they get that next book that comes in and the person has like 25 credits or something you know that's going to weigh on them, and it, it could sometimes tip the balance against you. So I always yeah. feel that to have some of that allows the, the the writer to show that they've gotten some experience, they've put their foot out there, and, and therefore, if they're willing to take the chance, then maybe the publisher can be willing to take the chance. Yeah, that makes sense. I one of the reasons I like publishing in online publications uh, is that. That allows me, I have a website, it's agnesvoida.com, so just my name.com, it's really easy. And I put the links to everything that I have in online magazines uh, on my website so that I can just send people to, okay, here's my website, check out my work. Uh, I would like to come read. Here is a portfolio you can check out whether you like my style and my stuff. So that's one of the reasons why I really like uh, the online uh, medium because it's more accessible to people. I mean, I love, there are lovely, lovely print magazines out there and uh, that I would love to publish in. But uh, yeah, if if somebody is just checking out an unknown person, they're probably not going to go and and buy an anthology or a magazine to to see what that person has. So I I know there is this fight between some people are very pro paper and anti digital. So I, I really like the digital for the accessibility uh, aspect and for the ability to share that work uh, and, and with just just a link. So yeah, it's 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 a battle that continues in the artistic community. And it's, to me, it's a waste of time. It's a silly battle because yeah. electronic is valid. 
and 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 useful and also um ebooks are, are very valuable doesn't mean that somehow they're a competitor to print books or somehow they're going to no. replace them they simply complement them and they're good they're a good device to be out there and quite frankly if you're a young student and you don't have a lot of money you know to buy a two dollar uh, ebook and still get what you need versus a 24 or 25 dollar you know print book you might be able not be able to afford that so it, it does allow people to have more access and that's important because when people have their access restricted you know they they lose out on art then and to me yes that, that, that's yes. a sad thing to have happen that's that's true so there's room for i think there is enough room for both so um for, I, I love books on physical paper, so I buy books. Oh, my gosh, I have bought so many books over the last year. Now, I have so many friends who write and publish, in, and, of course, I have to buy their books because uh, that's what you do. And I've learned so much. Uh, I am seeing so much great poetry. I also have a lot of catching up to do because growing up in a different cultural canon um, – I know a lot about 20th century German poets and poetry. I do not have, I did not have a very solid background in English language uh, poetry, and I have a lot of work to do. So until a few years ago, I didn't know a lot. So I had to do a lot of reading. I took a, there's a fantastic uh, online course that's free. It's one of those MOOCs, Massive Open online course uh, that is through the University of Pennsylvania. It's taught by Al Philrays and it's called Modern and Contemporary American Poetry. And that class is gold. That is fantastic. It's the best online course I've ever seen, the way this is designed. So if I can just do a 20-second plug here for that, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's a great resource for anybody who wants to learn about Modern and, Amer modern and contemporary American poetry. They call it ModPo. Um, it's asynchronous, so you can do it anytime during the year just by yourself. And there are videos of the TAs analyzing the, the poem and discussing with the prof, and there's writing prompts. And in the fall, they're doing a semi-live session, so you still can choose your time of day and everything when you want to watch the, the lectures. But... Um, we're sort of synchronized. So people, the discussion boards are more active and people are submitting the essays during the same week and you have peer critique. And so uh, I can highly recommend this. I got so much out of this course and learned a ton. And yeah, so I keep reading a lot. And I think that is one thing that I, that one shouldn't underestimate how important it is to read what the other people write. I know there are poets that say, oh, I don't write any, I don't read anything, so I'm not influenced. But let's face it, we're all influenced by something, and I find there's so much to learn by just, just reading. And so, I totally agree, and I uh, don't like that attitude. So whenever I hear that sort of thing, I, I go, I definitely, definitely admonish the person because the secret to any writing is reading. You probably got to read three, four times what you write in order to be able to yeah. not only stay fresh, but it also keeps your, your mind active. An active mind doesn't normally get writer's block. Writer's block happens when people start getting emotionally constipated because they're not doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. I sometimes that's, I, I found it very helpful. And when I'm 
stuck and I just don't have ideas and I can't write and we all have those days or weeks or months I go back to reading and I'm not beating myself up about the not being able to write I say this is the time probably where I need more input in uh, this may not be the time for output um, my absolute anybody who's, who's who's read my book can immediately guess that my absolute favorite poet is uh, Mary Oliver so uh, her work has inspired me I feel this deep connection how she writes about wrote about nature and uh, so so yeah if I, if I had to name a favorite poet it would be it would be her and there's a lot of others who have influenced me but I think she is by far the greatest influence in the English language. There is a German poet by the name of Eva Strittmatter. She was an East German poet uh, and I grew up with her books and they are very similar in a sense that she has the same close observation of nature and attention to detail, uh, but she uh, always wrote in verse. So stylistically, it was very different work and there was uh, the poetry of my teenage years, of my formative years, that that influenced the way I wrote in, in German, the most. Yeah, I, I, have, to, I have to look her up because I don't know anything about her. I, I'm only I don't, familiar with Ryan Rilke. He's the only one I'm really yeah, familiar with. I oh, Rilke is fantastic. No, I, I don't think I, I looked up uh, Stratemutter's work and and to see if anything has been translated into the English language. And I do not believe that any of her books have. But she was the uh, best-selling poet in East Germany. Saw her. She had immensely large editions and uh, a, a big a big followership so well, people just happen, just, just I, loved her i really hate when 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 they doesn't when something doesn't get translated into english because i always feel like I'm, I'm i'm missing out and and other people know something and i don't have a chance to to know it because obviously uh learning another language just to be able to read somebody's work is, is not exactly a practical no thing. no <laughs> you know so you and, hope one day that's going to happen because i'm i'd definitely be interested in checking it out where reiner I think he's been translated for like 50, 60 years already. Oh, probably more. Yeah, I mean, probably it probably more. started right, I, I right read after. I him in the 80s when I was in Germany. I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, he is. He is uh, one of the great, one of the greats, definitely. Well, mainly because of the letters to a young poet. That, that really uh, helps uh, beginning writers especially. Yeah, and not just writers. It's just in general. It's 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 so so wonderful advice that he gives. I love uh, the from the from the letters to the young poet the advice he gives to uh, the his correspondent to live the questions and not force the answers. So I got a lot of inspiration from that about how I'm how I'm handling my life right now. So thank you, Mr. Rilke. <laughs> And I'm, I'm I'm amazed by him mainly because if you think about later on where Germany went to with the, with the more fascist side of things, you're like God. They must have burnt this guy's book or just completely not listened to anything he had to say because he couldn't be more opposite than what had happened for a while there. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's like what? This is the culture that had this guy, and then this other idiot came along. Unbelievable. Well, yes, yes, that is a sad chapter. Um, 
if it's okay, I would like to maybe read one or two poems from the new book that I'm writing, from the new work, if we have the time for that. Yeah, we definitely have time for at least uh, one more. Um, do you already have a name of the new project, or are you still working on that, too? I do have a name, but I'm not ready to put that out yet. Okay. I, I'm definitely ready for this. Thank you. So, okay, then. Um, so I think of all the poems I wrote this year, this is my favorite. And I'm so wrestling with the title for it because um, it's either a song for the women in my life or it's a song for the woman I want to become or yeah, take it whichever way you, you want it. So here it is. She paints her life in bold brushstrokes, pomegranate love, obsidian pain. She is not afraid to start over. She won't let herself be silenced. She owns her stage and shouts her truth. Her songs come from the heart and the gut. She has dived in deep wells, clawed her way back to the surface, and emerged filled with compassion. She carries her scars with dignity, and faces her demons with courage. She is resilient as water. She can no longer be tamed. She bursts her banks like the river, flowing and flooding, fierce and fearless. She is honest as the ocean, loyal as the sunrise, and I love her. Yeah, that's going to be hard to have a title for that. I, I, that, that's, I, I like it. It had, had a real, um, a, a real feminine spirit to it without, um, without really disconnecting with somebody who might listen to it as a male. Um, I, I definitely like that. Uh, you're right about it. it. It's striving to be, uh, another, another version of, 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 of womanhood, maybe something different than, than what was the, the previous role. Um, you could probably call it, um, I will not be Picasso's girlfriend. That would probably be a good title. <laughs> <laughs> Just joking, but it had it has uh, it, it it has a strident feel without without sounding strident, if that makes that sense. Because it's reaching yeah. it's reaching for the future. It's reaching for another another. Um, I don't know, almost like you know when the caterpillar becomes a butterfly. It's reaching for another yeah. development. Yeah, something like that. And maybe it doesn't need a title at all. Or maybe it just is a song. Well, and I'm everybody a, can take person, away so I'm from, I didn't hear that. <laughs> I'm a from it what do you want. Hi, by the way, uh, b before we, we, we do conclude, how, how did you hear about Aerial Chart? There's so many different ways that people do. I'm always curious. I, I had seen work by a poet, and I don't even remember who it was, in, in some... Uh, in some other magazine and then I looked up their name to see where else they had published and that is where Ariel Chart came up and I looked uh, at her work on Ariel Chart and then I started poking around and I liked the I liked the, the layout and everything and the setup and so so that's how I found you and that's when I decided that yeah let's submit and see if, if that works out and I'm very grateful that you took my poems and thank um, you very much for sharing that I mean it, it just really goes to that episode when I tell people about trying to update and, and keep keep alive your, your short bio because you never know where it could do what it could bring you it brought me a wonderful writer 
Then it brought the show a wonderful writer. So look what something like that can do. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on your show, Mark. And I'm looking forward to listening to more more episodes yes, of, of your you. podcast. We have, a, we have a pretty deep uh, catalog at this point on all kinds of different subjects. You'll find out that besides interviewing people, I do a lot of standalone shows and we tackle topics that nobody else will do in, in the literary world. We'll talk about depression and confidence and fear. I did an episode on sexual harassment by publishers and, and, and editors, which is Ooh, un, you know, unforgivable, and, and, and how to avoid that. Uh, so we, we talk about a lot of things that we find that, that's relevant out there that, that just people just don't hear. And I, I want to be able to, to do that as, as somebody in the art world. It's not just about writing itself, but sometimes about the instruments or the background or the things in life that we need to also navigate if, if we're going to be able to get to that writing so it's it's i made it a real point to try to be a, a bit of a 60 minutes of writing on some of these things and it's it's been it's been helpful and and people have responded well i look forward to checking out some of the past and of the future episodes that, that was really uh, really great and I, I, I definitely appreciate that let me get here okay Agnes, uh, is that Voita? Yes. Agnes Voita. I'm trying to get her name down, folks. As you know, I'm sometimes not great with names, but heck, my last name is Rossi. You would not believe how many times people say it wrong. Rosie, 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 I mean, oh, crazy stuff. And they spell it with a Z or an E or something crazy or a Y. So I, I understand how that is. But uh, that was Agnes there. Uh, she is a, a wonderful poet, as you've heard. She's got that book out. A porous land from Spartan Press. You should be able to uh, to uh, key that into your Google and and, and find it. And on I, Amazon, it's on Amazon and on Barnes and Noble, and there's a link on my website too. All right, excellent, excellent. Definitely check that out, folks. I was hopingly uh, she'll finish her book uh, and and maybe available uh, early next year, so we could do another interview on, on on her next project. Agnes, thank you very much. You have a, you have a great rest of the summer over there. God Thank you, Mark. You uh, same to you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by purchasing an ebook at Soma Publishing. www.somapublishing.com.